0: Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the 9-to-5 with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in on our calendars that have meaning. Every day on mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is is worship
1: work is worship that's what we're uh, learning when God's at work in our work so if you take your uh, take your uh, lesson sheet there I kind of also uh, summarize where we have been we've looked at thus far how the curse distorted our view of work And we saw that there's basically three distortions, and I kind of have them compared there for you. The first is work becomes idolatry, which Todd addressed last week, where work is everything. And the motto is we're living for the work. We live to work. And the problem is uh, the viewpoint of being a workaholic, where work becomes an idol. We worship it. And instead of being where we need to be and working hard in other areas of our life, we only work hard as it relates to our job. The reminder from uh, last week was that work makes a lousy God. And then we talked a little bit about idealism, and we'll talk more about that. And that's where some work is everything, while other work is nothing. In other words... If you're working directly for the Lord, if you're a missionary, if you're a pastor, if you're doing something directly related to helping a missionary or a pastor, then that's everything. But whatever you're doing nine to five, what most people do, well, that's, that's nothing. And, and, the, and the motto here is lean, lean, living for the greener grass. Uh, we live and work for the next thing, whether that is a vocational ministry or it's that next job. My job's nothing. But that next job is going to be everything, and so you live for that next job. And the problem is a discontented heart. the the realizing that God has you where you are for a reason, and learning to work and worship God at work where you're at, instead of thinking that the next job is the key to doing that. Also a dualistic view of the world, where uh, the secular in the video talked about it, where there's a divide between the secular, And the spiritual. And the reminder is this work's not your primary calling. Even for even if you're in the ministry, that's not your primary calling. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your primary calling is to walk worthy of the Lord who called you, regardless of what you do. Well, the third distortion is what we're going to look at this morning, and that's idleness, an attitude that sees work as nothing. And instead of living for work like the workaholic, you're living for the weekend. Man, I just, I can't wait, you know. Uh, Monday's horrible, Wednesday's hump day, and Friday, thank God it's Friday because I'm living for the weekend. And believe it or not, that is a form of idleness. We work merely to live. The real life is outside of work. And the reminder here is, and what our lesson is titled today, work is not a four-letter word. Now, you know what I mean by that. It is a four-letter word, but it's not a four-letter word. It's not a dirty or evil thing. And so that's what we want to work. Now, as you look at that chart, I want you to think about this. There's basically two things that we we all do with our work. We either over-identify with it or we under-identify with it. All right? And it's really a large part of identity. If you and I don't get our identity from the Lord Jesus Christ, then we find it in something else. And we tend to find it in our jobs, or we find it outside of our jobs, but not in the Lord. So this morning, what I want to do is look how the curse distorts our view of work and causes us to see it as nothing, as of little value, as a necessary evil, to be either avoided at all costs or to set aside as soon as possible. I'm going to work hard like crazy so that I can get out of this horrible uh, thing called work and then get into that wonderful thing called retirement. And that's where I'm really going to be fulfilled. That's when I'm really going to start to live. Well, work is not a four-letter word. So let's look at this. Instead of producing a workaholic, the idea of idleness produces a sluggard. Okay, so that's, the, that's kind of the concept. We, we looked at workaholic, at workaholic last week. Well, this week, idleness is, is the biblical concept of a sluggard. One who sees work as evil and looks for excuses to avoid it or makes excuses, creates excuses. Let me read you a couple verses. There's a lot about the sluggard in Proverbs. Let me read you a couple verses. Proverbs 22, 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. In other words, I can't go to work. A lion might eat me. Proverbs 26, 13. The sluggard says, There's a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. Now, lions are usually out in the wilderness. They're not in the middle. You know, they're not at the workplace. Do you see the idea? The idea, it, that's distorted thinking. It's exaggerated. It is unrealistic. It's distorted. And really, It's sinful. Why? Because you're making excuses, looking for excuses to not work. Now, right there, stop right now. What I've said though before, I've used words like idle, I've used words like sluggard, I've read verses like this where you make excuses, and right now I would imagine that a good percentage of you are thinking, well, I know who this lesson's for, and it's not me. But I know a few, you know, it's kind of like I, I always think and, and, and to uh, remind myself not to do this, we have a tendency to beam lessons to people, okay? It's like you have a little radar up there and you're like, boy, this is really good. I hope so-and-so is listening to it. I hope, oh, they need, oh, look, they're not paying attention and boy, do they need to hear this right now. We all have a tendency to do that when we listen to God's Word and we have to consciously tell ourselves, look, this is for me. And so... You know, you might not be one who makes excuses about to avoid work. You might not be one who exaggerates to try to avoid work. You might not see yourself as one who is idle and lazy and never have been accused by someone of being a sluggard. But I want to tell you this morning that it still applies to all of us here. And it still might apply to you. And so, to help us to see that there's more than one way we can be idle, there's more than one way that we can be deceived into this distorted view of work, let's answer the question first this morning. What is idleness? What are we talking about there? Well, idleness can mean, just to get us into the idea, it can mean one of two things. First of all, it can mean idle hands. And that's how we usually think about it. Idle hands. Someone who's not working at all. Idle, sitting there. An engine that's idling is not moving. It's not doing anything. It's just kind of sitting there. It's inactive hands. And let me read a few more verses from Proverbs that kind of point to this idea of total inactivity. Proverbs 24. The sluggard does not plow after the autumn. So he begs during the harvest and has nothing. Proverbs 26, 14 through 15. It's one of my favorites. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. Back, and forth, back and forth. Hit the snooze, back and forth. Hit the snooze, back and forth. Just like a door on its hinges. Hinges. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth. That's a that's a great one. Okay, you're so idle, you're so lazy that you put the spoon in the dish, and it's just too much effort, too much effort to bring it to your mouth. Another one is a little folding of the hands and a little rest, and then destruction comes. So again, the hands are inactive. They are folded. They are in sleeping mode. Proverbs nineteen fifteen. Laziness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle man will suffer hunger. So those are all, that's how we typically think, idle hands. But there's another uh, meaning to idleness, and it's this, idle hearts. Idle hearts. Idle hearts. Not working like we should. Oh, we're busy. We're not idle. Our hands are busy, but our heart isn't in Can you relate to that a little more without having to beam it to somebody? It's the idea that our hearts are not active in what we are doing. The issue is not so much what we do with our hands as much as what's going on in our hearts. And let me read you a couple, again, from Proverbs about the sluggard to show you that inactive hands are really, at the root, inactive hearts. Listen to Proverbs twenty six sixteen: The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. In other words, don't tell me how I could work harder. I know. I'm wiser than you. I know. It's a pride issue. It's a heart issue. Laziness, idleness, a heart that's not engaged, it's a heart issue. Listen to Proverbs 28, one: The wicked will flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Now, when you compare that with our other verses, the lazy... The sluggard says, there's a lion in the streets. There's a lion in the streets. I can't go to work today. And yet the righteous are as bold as a lion. Hey, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to conquer. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to defeat. And it says the wicked flee when no one's pursuing. You could just as easily say the wicked don't work when there's really every reason to work. Okay? So these are hard issues. Are you... so? So here's the question. Where is your heart? When you are working. Where is your heart. When you are working. Are you fully engaged. At the job at hand. Is your heart in it. Now here's here's the extremes. If your heart is in too much in your work. It becomes a what. An idol. And if your heart is not enough. In the work. Then your heart is what. Idol. Do you see the thing. So those are the extremes. We either have too much of our heart in it. Or we have not enough of our heart in it. And the only way you're going to be able to get that right balance is by letting God be at work and applying the gospel to your work. So, here's the question. Are, are we worshiping while we work? Is our heart focused on working for the Lord? And I would present to you the point of this lesson is this. That if we are not worshiping the Lord while we are working, then we are idle our hearts are idle and we are not working for the lord as we should no matter what we do no matter what our job is so let's let me break it down a little farther let me break it down into three ways that we can view our work as nothing and see if you can relate to any of these first of all we can view our work as nothing by doing nothing at all okay by doing nothing at all motionless not working Out of rebellion. And here's what you want to see. And you don't get this in our culture. Our culture doesn't get this. Our uh, government does not get this. But laziness and not working comes from a heart of rebellion. It's an evil heart. It's sin. Laziness is sin. And it's not to be rewarded. It's not to be uh, lifted up, propped up. It's not to be furthered it's it's a sin and this is really uh seen for us and you can turn there now because we're going to be there for a while matthew 25 turn to matthew 25 it's it's often called the parable of the talents here's how i i, I prefer to call it the parable of the lazy professing believer who is thrown in hell by jesus that preachers refuse to preach okay that's kind of my name for the parable Of the talents, Uh, if you want to write that down, let me say it again: the parable of the lazy professing believer who's thrown in hell by Jesus. That preachers refuse to preach. That preachers love to preach Matthew twenty-five, except for the last verse. Uh, They never, hardly ever, hardly ever do. In fact, our 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 group did a. uh, Our small group did a study of uh, Matthew 25 that was pretty extensive. And it was just amazing how long uh, this uh, guy could teach and talk about Matthew 25 and avoid verse 30. But the reality is this. Uh, Look at verse uh, 26 of this parable to see that inactivity, doing nothing at all, is rebellion and it is wicked and it is sin and it's worthy of being cast into hell look at Matthew 25 26 but his master answered and said to him you wicked lazy slave now I don't think you could have Jesus saying anything more power, powerful there was three men and each were given a different number of talents uh, and the man that was given one talent uh, buried that talent did nothing with it Gave it back to the Lord, having not worked it, having not invested it, having done nothing to make it profitable for the master's kingdom. And here's what the master, who is a picture of Jesus, he says, look, you're wicked and you're lazy. And then look at verse 30. He calls him worthless. Look at verse 30. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, to profess that you are a believer in Jesus Christ and to never work for the Lord, either not only in the church, but not to work for Him at a job is wicked, it's lazy, and it's not what true believers do. That's the point of that lesson. Pretty hard words, but truthful words. Now, this kind of idleness is always working hard at not working. So when we say inactive, We do not mean they never do anything, although some couch potatoes, they do do that. They just don't work. They stay in their basement, and they play video games. They do nothing. They live off their parents. They're not actively pursuing the jobs that they need to be doing, and there's people like that, but also, they work hard at not working. Let me tell you, let me kind of lay this out for you, and I think you can relate to it. Lazy people can be very busy. People being busy at, at one of two things. Be busy at doing the wrong things at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. Busy at doing the wrong things at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. This was the, the, the lazy slave in this parable. He, he did some things. He went away. He dug a hole. He buried his talent, which belonged to the Lord. So that's activity. But he was doing the wrong things at the wrong time and for the wrong reasons. All right. So, lazy people can have jobs. It's just that they're always doing the wrong things at the wrong times for the wrong reasons. Second of all, lazy people can be very busy getting into other people's business. All right? And this is one of the problems with not doing what you ought to be doing. It gives you time to get into other people's business. All right? And this is very clear in the Bible, no less. So, keep your finger in Matthew 25 and turn over to 2 Thessalonians 3.11. 2 Thessalonians 3.11. And I want you to see this in your Bibles. And the reason I want you to see it is that you can see how practical the Bible is. It has so much to say about our work. So look at 2 Thessalonians 3.11. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. There's the idea. An undisciplined life, doing no work at all, there's the idea of idleness, but acting like busybodies, which is a great term. They're busy, they're doing things, they're just busy about other people's business. So there's a couple, there's one way you can treat work as nothing by doing nothing at all. The second way that you have there in your notes is this another way we view work as nothing is. Instead of doing nothing, we are just doing something to get by. Doing something to get by. Now, here's where, if we're honest, and I won't have you raise your hand, because that, well, it wouldn't be embarrassing, because we'd have to all raise our hand. We are all guilty at times of doing something to just get by. Agreed? We're all, you know, just, and and you're not motionless, but you're what? Going through the motions. And by the way, that applies as much at worship as it does at work, worshiping at work or worshiping here. We can be doing something to just get by, just going through the motions. And what I want you to understand is it's not an issue of your work and it's not an issue of your church. It's an issue of your heart. That's the issue. The issue is the heart. So let's look at this. Now, we all love when someone comes by and asks you this. Are you working or are you hardly working? Are you working? I'm sorry, I've jacked it all up. Are you working hard or are you hardly working? You just want to slap right? You know. But that's the idea. Are you hardly working? Now, let me. here's how I describe doing something to get by. I call it working without. Doing something to get by is working without. And let me show you three things that we work without when we're just working to get by, when we're just going through the motions. Number one, We're working without a sense of God's future accountability. We're working without a sense of God's future accountability. Listen to me. Listen to me. If we really had a sense that we're going to stand before the Lord and give an accounting of how we work at our jobs, we would work differently, right? We would never just want to work to get by. And this is exactly what we see. Go back to Matthew 25. This is what you see in the parable of the talents of the professing believer who was wicked and lazy and was thrown into hell by Jesus. Here's what you see in Matthew 25. Look at verse 14. The whole point of this parable is to emphasize future accountability. Look at verse 14. Jesus is talking about the spiritual life. He's talking about the kingdom, the future kingdom. And it says, it's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. You see, we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We have a master, and we are working for him 24-7, no matter what we're doing. And everything we have comes from what? That comes from him. It's his possession. So the job you have, that comes from him. The resources you have, that comes from Him. You say, yeah, but I worked hard for that. Yeah, but He gave you the life and the strength and the wisdom and the ability to do these jobs. This is not of yourself. It's of Him. So that's the emphasis there. And therefore, in verse 19, look at verse 19. Now, after a long time, boy, we can relate to that, can't we? How long has it been since Jesus went away? How long? Over 2,000 years. That's a long time. And the point of this, we don't know when he's coming back. He's going to come back soon, and it's going to be sudden, and it's sure, but we don't know when he's coming back, but we know he is coming back. So after a long time, the master of those slaves came, and then here's the key word, settled accounts with them. Settled accounts. There is a future accountability. Now, Here's the difference, listen to me, here's the difference, that this working with a sense of future accountability, here's the difference it makes. Look at verses 16 and 17. The two uh, workers, the two slaves, who worked with a sense of God's future accountability, here's what they did. Verse 16, what's the first word? Immediately. Immediately immediately, as soon as they were given the the resources, as soon as they were given the task, immediately the one who had received the five went and traded with them and gained five more. Verse 17, first thing that comes out, in the same manner. What's the emphasis in these verses? It's how they worked. Why? Because I have a master, and he's given me his resources, and I have a future accountability. So, boom, immediately in the same manner. Off they went. Now, look at verse 18. What happens when you work without a sense of future accountability? Look at verse 18. But he who received the one talent went away. Where? Why? And dug a hole, busy, doing the wrong thing for the wrong reasons, in the ground, and he hid his master's money. That was not what he was told to do. He went away. He just wandered around. He had no sense. He was working without a sense of future accountability. Listen, uh, our theme, Pastor Bruce has been talking about all in. We go all in when we know we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for all that he's given to us, even at our ordinary, boring, day-to-day, uninteresting, it seems, job. Okay? But listen. And we do it not out of fear of God's strictness, not out of a fear of God's unfairness. Because see, the lazy servant, when he was held account, Jesus, the master, says to him, Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? you just giving me back what I gave to you. You didn't do anything with it. Oh, because I knew you were hard and, and difficult to work for. Hey, we give our all not because we think the Lord's hard to work for. It's because he's done so much for us. He's done so much for us and it's a privilege to be his slave because to be his slave he's also made us his sons and his daughters and he is so gracious and so benefit oh I'd work for the Lord we would say all day long so there's the question do you do I do we work for the Lord okay now working without can also mean doing something to get by is working without number two a sense of God's present pleasure it's not just about the future it's about the right now the present pleasure of the lord and where do we see that in this parable well look at verse 21 matthew 25 verse 21 his master said to him and that is to the two that were the hard workers his master said to him well done good and faithful slave you were faithful with a few things What that tells us is that, and you've got to think through this a little bit. Even though the master was far away and couldn't be seen, he was watching, or he knew. In the parable, he knew because he came back and he saw the results. We serve a master that's watching all the time. And the master that watches us all the time takes joy and pleasure in the fact that we have are being faithful. So you get up Monday. God is rejoicing. You go to work and you are faithful, doing the same old routine of making widgets or a machine. And it doesn't seem to impact anything directly spiritual. And it doesn't seem to impact anything for leading people to Christ, like over in Sweden or over in the Netherlands. And yet God is saying, you're being faithful. I'm, 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 I'm pleased with this. I have pleasure in what you're doing. Do you think that way? Do you think that way about your job? Do you have a consciousness that God is accepting and joyous in what you're doing? Not just here Sunday, right now, but during the week. We should. Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. But the one who was working without a sense of God's present pleasure lost everything that he had and was thrown into eternal judgment. Working without by just trying to get by will cost you in the end. And you will lose it all. You will lose it all. Third, doing something to get by is working without without a sense of God's kingdom realities. Working without a sense of God's kingdoms, kingdom realities. Another way you can say this, without a sense of urgency to be profitable for God's coming kingdom. You, see, you say, Chris, I, I can. I, I'm just a janitor. I clean toilets. Yeah, but that can be profitable not only for right now, which it is, but profitable for God's coming kingdom. You say, well, how does that work? Well, let's look at it. Look at Matthew 25, verse 21. Look at verse 21. Again, to the ones who worked with a sense, uh, worked hard for the Lord and without a sense of idleness. Look at what he says. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. Here's, that's my pleasure in what you were doing. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. What he did in the now had impact for the future millennial kingdom. Listen, we're living for the kingdom right now. We're working for the kingdom right now. And there's going to, Jesus is going to come back. There's going to be a thousand years where Jesus is king, sitting on the throne of David, reigning and making things right in this world. And guess what? We're going to be working for him. And how we're going to work for him is directly related to how we work for that boss that drives us nuts right now. Now, listen, that's a kingdom reality that you and I cannot grasp apart from reading it in the Word of God and having faith that that's a reality. And listen, that's just as true for Bruce and I in the ministry and, and, uh, and just whatever we're doing, we get into ruts, we get into routines, and we begin to think, does this matter anymore? Is what I'm doing significant? And if you're not careful, you start just doing enough to get by. Instead of realizing, hey, the routine is a part of life in the curse. And, and, and nothing I can do can, can make work more exciting. It's not; I don't need another job. I don't need this. I don't need that. What I need is a kingdom reality that if I'm faithful and I do this as unto the Lord, when I stand before him, I'm going to have a job in the kingdom. I'm going to get my promotion is coming. My raise is coming. And it's going to be in the kingdom. Now, don't any of you think that means I don't want to raise. Okay. And that doesn't mean you don't want to raise. What it means, though, is when you don't get that raise, or even when you do get that raise, there's a greater raise and a greater reward that is yet waiting for us, and it is the joy of the Lord. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So let me give you two things. First of all, I want you to note two things about kingdom realities. First of all, we'll still be working in the millennial kingdom. I will put you in charge, it says, of many things. Yikes! You know, I thought, I I can't wait to die so I don't have to work anymore. Well, uh, I don't know what hell's going to be like and I don't want to find out, but I know in heaven we're going to be working. and We're going to be working hard and we're going to be working for the perfect boss and we're going to be working in a far better environment that is influenced by him. Many things. You know, and for some we wouldn't say this out loud, but for some of us we need to get a grip that we may be working for the the janitor at our job. You better treat him nice now, because if he's a believer and doing that unto the Lord, he may be in charge. He's going to be in charge of much, and it may be you. Kind of puts a whole new twist on that. Second thing I want you to see is we'll be working in the joy of the Lord. No more curse. No more distortion. No more lack of fulfillment. Now, isn't that cool? That's a kingdom reality that should help you and I do what? Do more than just get by. Amen? Okay, here's a third way. A final way we view work as nothing. We've seen doing nothing at all. Number two, doing something to get by. Number three, doing the same thing without joy. Doing the same thing without joy. And we've hit this quite a bit, but I want to say this about that. We have a wrong view of work when we undervalue undervalue the value of the ordinary and the routine. But Chris, I'm, I'm just doing the same thing. It just doesn't seem to mean anything. Is it your job? And are you doing what you ought to be doing? And if you're doing it as unto the Lord, realize that you can have joy in that knowing that he is pleased and there is a greater reward, there is a future promotion and there is greater raises ahead for you. Now that's just powerful stuff. See we tend to slack off due to seeing no eternal value to what we're doing. We begin to work for the uh, to live. We begin to work for the weekend. Uh, so man Friday you know the week is just oh I can't wait for the weekend And then the end of the weekend, is Sunday afternoon is oh no what's coming? Monday's coming, and if you don't re- if you don't realize that people live their whole lives this way, just dreading work. Okay, so it's like oh no Monday's coming, so that ruins the weekend halfway. Then it's like I can't wait till Wednesday Hump Day. Then it's like oh it's almost Friday. Then it's like woo you know it's Saturday. And then oh no we're, I mean it's just. Hey, listen, this is the way the lost people around us are working. Okay? If they're not workaholics, then this is how they're working. And if we're working the same way, then we don't have a message of joy to give them. We we can't show them how the Lord makes a difference in our work if we're going through the rut and the routine in the same way. So, what are the fruits of idleness? Here's Here's some ways. If you haven't recognized yourself... then let me just give you, here's some of the ways you know that you're idle in in your work. Despondency, joylessness, complaining, discontentedness, passivity, people-pleasing, score-settling, corner-cutting, Monday-dreading gloom. These are the fruits. So if that's where you're at, and I think we can all see ourselves a little bit in that, There's good news, all right? So look at your neighbor and say, there's good news. Look at your neighbor. There's good news. Are you ready for some good news now? Here's the good news. It's real simple. Working for the king will overcome idleness. Working for the king will... So let's say that out loud to make sure you're not idle listening. Working for the king will overcome idleness. So let me show you two things. And this is so cool. Because good doctrine will influence... How you work and bad doctrine will influence how you work as well. Number one, the king commands and commends working hard. And here's how. You, here's two things I want you to see. Right doctrine leads to the right kind of hard work. Right doctrine leads to the right kind of hard work. I'm not talking about what Todd talked about last week. I'm not talking about workaholicism. I'm talking about the right kind of hard work. And wrong doctrine will lead to idleness. So let's look at look at 2 Thessalonians 3. Turn your Bible, 2 Thessalonians 3. I'm going to read a passage of scripture and then we're just going to highlight a couple things. 2 Thessalonians 3. And look at verse 7, 7 through 13. 7 through 13. Apostle Paul speaking to believers in the church at Thessaly God speaking to you and I at the church of Glenwood. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Because we did not act in an undisciplined, there's that idea again, an undisciplined manner among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But, you say, well, how'd you pay for it? But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this. He's saying, look, as ministers of the gospel, we have the right to receive pay for what we do as ministers of the gospel. But we chose to give up that right and be bivocational. He was a tent maker. But he says, Not that we don't have this right, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. So here's the Lord commanding and commending. And here's what he says. If anyone's not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. Don't work, you don't eat. You work, you get to eat. It would revolutionize our country. Revolutionize. But our country and our government is not the church and is not serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We are. So as the church, we need to be examples of this, okay? Then he says, verse 11, For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. He just keeps hitting that. Doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a spiritual thing to do work to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, now, you that are working, you that aren't idle, here's what he says. Do not grow weary of doing good. What good? Holy evangelism? Holy reading of the... No, your jobs. Your jobs. Working as unto the Lord. So verse 10 is the key. We gave you this order. If anyone's not willing to work, then he's not going to eat. Don't work, don't eat. Okay. Now, however, wrong doctrine can lead to idleness. And let me give you an example. First of all, wrong doctrine about Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Two responses to the soon return of Christ. Stop working. You say, no one would do this. Oh, yes, I can tell you stories in history where people got the idea that uh, they, they were, learned the truth about Jesus was coming, and they went home, and as a group, they sewed white sheets, because he said he's going to c- catch them up, and come with his saints in, in holy garment, and they wore white sheets, and they went up on a mountain, and they all stood and they waited. In history, this happened. The Millerites, they did this. Wrong view of truth. OK, and listen, even the apostles were susceptible to this because in Acts chapter one, when Jesus ascended, the angels, they are all like this. And the angels had to come down. Why stand you gazing in, in the King James? Why stand ye gazing? I love that. Why stand ye gazing? He will come back in the same manner. Go fulfill a great commission. Get working. Get working so we can stop work at all or we start working less because we have one eye on our job and you know jesus may come back and so i don't want to get too aggressive in my planning because jesus may come back or as the thessalonians they were afraid jesus had come and they were in the tribulation and today people get all uh, hung up with the direction our country's going which is down and they become and you have a tv show doomsday preppers let's quit our jobs move to the hills doing the wrong thing at the wrong time for the wrong reason so Jesus is coming, is true doctrine, but can be understood. And then number two, Jesus is everything. Jesus becomes everything. So my job is now nothing. And I become discontent and idle in my work. Or worse than that, I become a pain on my you know, on the job, because instead of working hard at my job, I, I use it as a platform for witnessing all the time. And I do all the Jesus talk, and everybody wants to avoid me. Because instead of working, I'm witnessing. Not that we shouldn't witness, but we witness through our work as well as our verbal witness. Or we change jobs to go into the real work, the kingdom work of a vocational ministry where people are all fulfilled all the time. Now, as or as Darla and Gwen understand. Now, there's two things I want to say we want to avoid. We want to avoid no one leaving their their present jobs, no one leaving them for vocational ministry. Listen, that's a little bit of where we're at right now. We have parents that are not encouraging kids to consider the Lord's call to vocational ministry, and we're going to have a problem here, real short. We're going to have a problem. God's church is going to be shepherdless because we haven't prepared. Okay, so that's one extreme, but we want to avoid the, stre- extreme, the other extreme of everyone thinking they need to quit their job and go in the ministry, and that would not be good either because you will find that there will be no ties and offerings, okay? And so those are the extremes we want. Now, second thing I want you to see about right doctrine is not only does it lead to the right kind of hard, hard work, but number two, right doctrine leads to the right kind of heart motivation. It leads to the right kind of heart motivation, and the passage I want you to look at for this is turn your Bibles to Colossians three, Colossians three, uh, Colossians three twenty-two through twenty-four. We've said all along in this lesson that idleness is a heart issue, and this is probably no better passage addresses the heart at work in this passage so let's read it together follow along in your Bibles on your phone your iPad let's look at this slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth so we're talking about earthly jobs not with external service as those who merely please men but with sincerity and there's the word of heart fearing who fearing the Lord whatever you do do your work heartily circle that word As for the Lord, rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. What can you write across that? Working for the King changes everything. Working for the King changes everything. Look beyond your boss. Look beyond your job. And look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And realize that it will help you avoid doing nothing at all, being motionless. Avoid doing something to get by, just going through the motions, and you will do everything. Do everything, as to the Lord. Work hard for the right person and the right purpose. Now, whatever you do, do it with. We talked about working without. Now, here's how you work. Here's what you work with. And let me just give you, uh, just fill them in. Here they are. Five things. Number one, work with loyalty at your job. Cleaning toilets, stocking shelves, doesn't matter. Brain surgery, it's all the same. Do it with loyalty, with a whole heart. And here's the issue. How do you follow through on what you're told to do? How do you follow through? Do you do in all things obey? Number two, sincerity. Work with a sincere heart. With sincerity of heart. What's that mean? The issue is how we work on the inside versus how we appear to work on the outside. Are you as as active and engaged with your heart? Are you sincere in how you work for your boss? Okay? How you do your job tomorrow. Number three, integrity. With a reverent heart. Work with integrity. Fearing the Lord. Listen, the issue here is how do we work when no one's looking? Because guess who's always looking? The Lord. The Lord is always working. And when we steal, we steal from the Lord. And when we steal or when we slack, we're doing it before the Lord. Number four, work with quality. Work with quality, with a motivated heart. Why? Whatever you do, do your work heartily. Do the best you can do within the time frame you have. And do it as for the Lord. The issue here is who are you really working for and who is it that you're really trying to please in your work? Because unresponsive bosses kill motivation. And frustrating bosses, bosses that change and companies that buy and sell and and you never don't know who you're working for or what language they're going to speak or what country they're going to be in, kills motivation. And you've got to get back to quality. You've got to get back and say, whatever my boss is and whoever's the name on the paycheck, I do it for the Lord. And so I'm going to do my best and leave the rest to Him. Number five, you do it with intent, intensity. You work with intensity. And this is with a believing heart. Or I could say a confident heart. Or a joyful heart. But here's what a believing heart does. Verse 24 and it, it really summarizes everything we've been saying. Look at verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Listen, the kingdom is coming. Literally on this earth, thousand years, Lord Jesus Christ reigning, and it's going to be good. And it's going to be it. worth it. And your work impacts that. So look at your evaluation there. Are you idle in your work? Is it merely a means to an end? Does your work totally frustrate you so you're losing your joy and you're starting to just go through the motions? You've forgotten you work for the king. Does your work become divorced from your discipleship? Realizing that the, the, when work is the hardest is when Jesus is making you most like himself, or at least trying to. So here, here's what I think probably all of us could do to, this morning. Recognize that our our idleness is sin. Repent of not working for the king with all our heart and recommit to God's purposes. And here's the verse I'd like for you to think about this week. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men. Now we've got some individuals in our class that were laid off just this week. So this is relevant. You know, this is real. And this is how you find hope in those kind of situations, that you're working for the Lord. Amen? And there is work to be done in finding the next job. There's work to be done in praying, and trusting, and we can lift each other up. Amen? Men, women, I commend you for what you will do tomorrow morning. It has value. It has worth. Do it heartily as unto the Lord, just as my work has equal value, and I must do it as heartily unto the Lord. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, first of all, I always end a lesson thanking you that I'm not having to come up with this stuff. It's in your word, and it's clear, and it's revealed, and we live in a country where we have multiple Bibles multiple technology to learn it so i thank you that we know your will regarding idleness and secondly lord i thank you for your grace that enables us to confess where we are slacking confess where we are idle of heart and you restore us with your forgiveness and you give us the righteousness of christ to work hard as unto you i pray for each individual here some who have Uh, difficult job situations right now. And uh, I pray for your grace to be sufficient. May we uplift one another as brothers and sisters. I pray for those who have been in the same job for a long time. I pray that you would restore and renew their heart, their passion, and that, Father, they would see who they are working for and that you have pleasure in what is an ordinary job. And, Father, those who are discontent, And always looking, I pray that you would give peace. And they would wait for your guidance. They would wait for your call and your promotion. We pray these things in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.